You're listening to. Hey everyone, welcome to the Good Pop Culture Club episode 47. My name is Marvin Yu, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self proclaimed professional Asian American, Just Jew. I need a sabbatical, Marvin. <laughs> it's been a tough day, let's say, for uh, professional Asian Americans. Shit's happening. That's bad. I hate it. Racism. Racism bad. bad. Stop yeah. killing us. <sighs> Sorry. Dark place to start a podcast. <laughs> But what you're going to do when, like, literally five minutes before, you're just like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. bad. We're we're recording this on the same day as a mass shooting has taken place in Atlanta, allegedly or apparently targeting Asian-owned salons and spas. And And Asian women, Marvin. Asian women. Because that's really the cherry on the racism cake. You don't even put cherries. This is terrible. I'm... Yeah, it's not great, obviously. Uh, Really, really tough times. I think not just limited to the Asian community in the last year or so, but does seem to be hitting a weird fever pitch lately. Uh, Nothing new. I think people are learning about it, which is, like, good. But also, you know, you have the world's intelligence in your hands. Go learn about it. Yeah, I mean, at this point, there's really no excuse to be barely learning about racism and if you are barely learning about it like you know there's tons of resources out there for you to check out i guess huh. also joining us professional culture editor han win hey, hey. Han. i know i'm not gonna add to the sadness but yes <sighs> yeah i mean this is a um a silly pop culture show where we talk about the good stuff so uh mm-hmm. i don't know it's sometimes it feels bad that we're we're like trying to bring joy in a time when like joy is not easily found but that's, i mean look that's been my i guess dilemma my whole entertainment writing career and but that's also why we try to you know uplift voices that are important and we don't necessarily ignore it but there are times when you're just like oh i guess i'm not gonna tweet about this thing that i wrote you know because <laughs> the time just sounds bad um and honestly that's been happening more and more and more it seems in the past few years um and especially in the last year so um yeah but at the same time you know entertainment and art is very important um and it does help us deal with things and um and interpret life so i get it yeah so we're gonna still do that yeah and i think you know it's always two things i think there's you know art I think we deserve to more than survive. Like we deserve to live full free lives, which for me, art and culture and like all this quote unquote stupid stuff is part of that. Um, So I, I, you know, and I'm coming from the art band. I know how important arts is. So like, to me, that's like, it's, I, I don't frame it as like, we have to like get all our hierarchical needs first and then we can enjoy thing. No, it's much more complicated. Like, it's it's parallel, right? Like all these things and needs are parallel to each other. And then she's like, there's just going to be people and segments of people who the only way you're going to reach them is through culture or pop culture artifacts. Like I can, you know, I mean, even even people who are woke or like educated or want to educate there's only so much like you're going to be able to read like an academic paper dissecting like the nuance of xyz but there's a trojan horse effect of pop culture of like you're going to learn stuff and like 
absorb things you may not realize you're absorbing. So yeah. there's like a duty to try to 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 present um, counter narratives, right? To the racist narratives that have been imbued in our culture, specifically American culture, for so long. Yeah, like I mean, gotta fight why, it. Yeah, this is why I always tell people like representation is just not about putting people on screen to meet some sort of quota. I was like, it's a very important narrative to show people normalized who are out there so that everyone else can accept them, you know, in, in very proper context. So, uh, yeah, it, that's why I was just like, that's why we need um, Asian representation. That's not just like being Yakuza or something like that. You know, they just need to see us as regular folk um, in all walks of life. Um, so, yeah. That being said, um, heart, our, our hearts go out to all the victims of today's uh, violent crimes um and we hope that the perpetrators get brought to justice um yeah uh on today's episode we're talking about the 2018 kathy yan film dead pigs um that has finally seen a u.s release um through the streaming service movie um but before we get to that let's find out what pop culture is beginning us through the week uh jess what's popping so sunday was the grammy awards i usually don't like make go out of my way to watch them or any awards show but you know i'm home it's <laughs> sunday and it was like really fun i think i forgot how much i miss like music and like live performances even if i'm not there or they're not live like just performance sets i used to go to like a average of like a concert a month like even random ones like smaller ones like just go because i like vibes and music and being with other people and some really great highlights, some very questionable, awkward moments. But above all else, the conversation and like the Twitter memeing around the Grammys was really, really fun to partake in. Um, made me really uh, highlights on my end were like Silk Sonic. That's an amazing excellence mm -hmm. right there. Uh, Harry Styles, who I had this theory that he's like has the raw sexuality of like a person who is like bad for you, but he like seems like a genuinely good lovely person so it's like all of that like indulgence but none of the guilt also that leather like suit he looks so good um you know we have like beyonce randomly showing up she does not come to award shows like that often to like support megan that was fun the megan cardi b wop performance great and then dua lipa who bless her heart like she's not a dancer we all know that she tried we could see her counting the beats, but it doesn't matter because future nostalgia is like everyone's just the Twitter verse was just like, we can't wait until everything is open again and it's safe. And we can all just dance to future nostalgia in a club together. <laughs> and that's what I want to. So I didn't watch the Grammys. All I saw was a bunch of people be mad about BTS. Do you know what that's about? They didn't win anything, <laughs> even though they're obviously like the I think they're like the number one recording artists in terms of sales in 2020 i mean they've taken over the world their performance was like delightful as they always are they're never bad it's just i think overall dynamite's not like their best song it's just the one that was crafted for like american oh. airwaves it's still good it's still good that's the thing like bad like okay bts is still like tighter better and like more you know they're so polished they know they're professionals 
And even like an okay, like they could phone it in and do better than like 80% of like <laughs> musical acts, you know? And I am not even a, I'm not even army. Like I'm a very mm-hmm. like casual listener. I'm out of the game. I cannot be into K-pop anymore because there's no <laughs> in between. It's like going to take over my life and I'm going to go move to Korea now that I have the funds <laughs> and get that big bang tattoo I never got because I was underage. So like I choose not to wade back into that. Um, so. I mean, I guess they didn't win anything. There's always a bigger conversation about that. The Grammys has traditionally made very questionable, i.e. racist decisions because their voting body is. I mean, I that's, mean, I don't, that's the challenge yeah. for all of these academies, right? Which is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just wild when you <laughs> see how bad it is. It's like, like, you know how upset everyone was at with the Green Book winning the Oscars? That's like they have a green book every single year. They have like 10 green books every single year. <laughs> you know, like like I just always go back to Macklemore one rap album of the year over mm-hmm. like Kendrick Lamar's. Was it to pimp a butterfly? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like that's there's no credibility in the voting party. Um, yeah, I mean, even Billie Eilish was just like her speech winning. She was just like uh she assumed Megan the Stallion was going to win. Yes, and, so, obvi- yeah. and then remember Adele won for twenty five over mm-hmm. Lemonade. And who yeah. the hell is talking? I love Adele. I've seen her in concert. But who the fuck is talking about twenty five in twenty twenty one? And like yeah. Lemonade is like Lemonade changed the entire game. <laughs> so I mean, obviously, but the performances. I think the show. It's award politics and dis- discourse aside, very valid. I thought like the show was still pretty fun. Yeah, it was absolutely entertaining. And but that also just in some ways brought it into stark relief about who won. Because yes. it's like, hey, you just lost, but now you're going to entertain us with this amazing <laughs> yes. performance. Like, yes. oh, my God, Megan the Stallion, her dancing, the whole routine was amazing. Oh, my so. God. Like the Busby, Busby, Busby Berkeley, Berkeley, the old like Nicholas, Nickel Brothers yeah, tribute, Nicholas- loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually like kind of surprised that CBS was like, okay with this i was like oh this is a lot of like butt and wet ass <laughs> you know I, I i don't know if it's because like i at first i was like this paramount plus release is just sort of weird and they didn't take advantage of it but then we got the harry and megan and then we got the grammys and then I, and then of course now the talk is in hot water but i was just like this is the best like advertisement for cbs ever if you don't have it you can go to the streaming service and catch up on all of this shit yeah it, it was it's very a lot of butt it is it was a lot of butt it's also so interesting because you know cbs is cbs itself the broadcast brand has you know that reputation of being older and like stodgy yeah. more conservative but then you know viacom cbs is the home of mtv and vh1 and you know, Comedy Central, which is why Trevor Noah was hosting. Yeah. Oh my God. And I was so like, good. it's such like it was really fun. I was just very surprised it was on CBS. Yeah, I, I think you know when CBS All Access first came down came out and then like they became the place for the all the diversity that CBS broadcast didn't have. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, Star Trek Discovery and like all these other things, uh programs that were also it's skewed younger because CBS broadcast also has like I the mean, older yeah. generation. It's just so I mean, weird. Business-wise, like, it makes sense because who's watching broadcast TV? Who's watching streaming? Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, but that's, now, that's the thing. Like Comedy Central and MTV and VH1, you would think are younger leaning or they want to program younger. But I was like, nobody 
Young has cable anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, it it's it, that's why I found Paramount Plus's like launch interesting because so much of it is playing into nostalgia, like all the MTV, like we have the real world reunion stuff, um, and all these you know Punky Brewster coming. Well, we no, just want to feel peacock. safe again. <laughs> yeah, all the millennials so, are just like life's hard. We don't like this. Bring us back to when like someone <laughs> fed us cereal and we could watch <laughs> cartoons in the morning, please. Yeah. So before nine eleven. <laughs> So true. Holy crap. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it's been a dark it's <laughs> been a dark week, guys. So we've uh, already talked about violence and 9-11 and okay, <laughs> but Han, well, what's popping with you? Uh I wanted to take it a little different. Um again, I'm going to be mentioning a TV show that is not out yet, um, because I have screeners. However, what it will a flex. Be, what yeah. a flex. <laughs> it will be out soon. Um, I think in only maybe within the week, uh, by the time you hear this. So um, there's a series on Netflix called The Irregulars. For any of you who are Sherlock Holmes, Holmesian fans, you probably recognize the name because um, there are a, a group of street boys who would help out uh, Sherlock Holmes investigate things called the Baker Street Irregulars. Um, and so this time the Irregulars are led by a girl and she's Asian. Um, e. uh, B. Her uh, the actress's name is Thaddea Graham. She's been in, in a few other things, including a Netflix YA uh, movie called Letter to the King from the King. Um, and so what I really love is, well, first of all, I like most um, interpretations of Sherlock Holmes, especially those that are counteracting the very toxic masculinity white narrative <laughs> um, like Enola Holmes did that with um, the Stranger Things gal as his uh, sister. And then um, I've been reading, you know, t uh, the book series about a female Sherlock Holmes. So here you get um, not only is the leader of the regulars um, a girl, but she also has sister there, a half sister in the group. And um, but there's other casting that is interesting because um, like Watson is black and this is probably the closest you can get to colorblind casting in that. They don't seem to refer to race, so they don't have the Bridgerton issues um, of trying to reconfigure the reality. This is purely its own alternate timeline. Um, and the other, you know, the other big twist is like there is supernatural shit going down. So it's a kind of gory YA supernatural Sherlock Holmes thriller. And um I've been enjoying it. It's 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 weirdly gorier than I thought it would be. And it's weird. Um, but they are still, you know, um, it's Victorian. So you get to see, you know, first of all, B in Victorian garb. But since she's also a street urchin, she's wearing pants, which is also cool. Um, and yeah, just kind of enjoyable. A few of the guys, I think, look the same. So sometimes I get them mixed up. They're white. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just found it fairly enjoyable. And she is... I have to say, so charismatic. I, I'm going to look up that movie that she's in um, and watch some other stuff that she's in because I just I find her very enjoyable and I'm so thrilled that she's the lead of this. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm looking at her, um, her Wikipedia page and she is Chinese North Irish. Oh, look at that. Very exciting. That's <laughs> like, cool. She has a, yeah, she has a very cute accent. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> amazing. 
Uh, so anyway, that was mine. Um, Marvin, what is popping with you? Yeah, I'm going to go back to a an oldie but a goodie, but uh, DuckTales 2017, which I've brought up several times on this podcast before, just had its um, series finale. So I'm going to take this opportunity to uh, spread the gospel again and tell everyone, especially people who grew up with Disney afternoon cartoons like I did, um, to go check it out. Um, so they wrapped up the series with a 90 minute series finale. Um, so it's pretty much like watching a movie and man, they brought out all the stops, like all the characters that they've introduced over the last few years. Um, and I know I've talked a lot about how this series, uh, creates a Disney afternoon expanded universe, um, bringing in storylines from classic Disney afternoon cartoons like Chippendale Rescue Rangers and Tailspin and Gummy Bears as well as classic Disney like canon. And in this last episode, they managed to call back to two um, additional Disney properties. Um, first of all is the introduction or the reintroduction of April, May, and June, which in classic Disney cartoons were Daisy's triplet nieces. What? What? Do they just have like weird eyelashes and like bows in their hair? Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they do have different colored bows. Um, they were also recently featured in the a revival of the Three Caballeros um, TV show. And one of the surprise uh, cameos is um, actually, so there's this fan favorite character in the series called Manny the Headless Horse. He's like a reanimated horse statue without a head. Okay, I mean, it got a little dark there, but it seems fine. <laughs> yeah, and um, in this episode, he um, gets revived and actually gains a voice, and the voice is Keith David. Oh, cool. Um, and... And it turns out that um, Manny the Headless Horse is actually a gargoyle, and they actually play like the gargoyle's theme song um, during his revival. And Keith Davis gets to say his classic line, and it's oh, it was just amazing. Again, anyone who's watched Disney Afternoon, um, there are just so many callbacks and so much nostalgia being tickled in the series and in the series finale, especially. Can, can I watch the finale without seeing the rest of the series, or do I need you, to? You you probably mean, could, but. A lot of the characters, there are a lot of characters in this episode that uh, get set up throughout the series. And some of them, you might not know who they are if you haven't watched the series. So I would actually recommend just going back and watching the uh, whole thing because, I mean, the series is great. I've been saying it's awesome right. for a long time. I think you would like it. And they do a really good job of making it accessible to both kids and adults. And especially if you're an adult fan of Disney. Yeah. I mean, look, I love the double length pilot which was fantastic so i might just go back and rewatch all of the the new series of ducktales just to catch up and watch it and maybe it'll be a treat for myself yeah so if you've been sleeping on ducktales i mean the series is over um all three seasons should be coming on to disney plus soon so if you can watch it um definitely watch it because it is worth every second <laughs> Well, that's what's popping for this week. When we come back, we're talking all about the film Dead Pigs. Stick around. Hey, professional Asian American. Hi, Marvin. Have you heard of Urban Salted Egg Chips? Marvin, at my house, Irvin's is a form of cultural currency because I told my mom that I might get paid in Irvin's chips and she has never been more proud of me. <laughs> 
Yeah, Irvin's is a sponsor of this podcast, and they are Singapore's number one snack. And it's finally in the states. No more smuggling back from Asia. No more smuggling. You don't have to do anything illegal.、Uh, the chips are great. The cassava chips are great. The fish skins are excellent.、Uh, up and down the line, Irvin's is delicious. Yeah, Irvin's is the original salted egg chip. They use real salted duck egg that has been brined for thirty days and steam cooked and hand mixed into chips, into potato chips, fish skins, and cassava chips. Then they use real salted duck egg yolks, fresh curry leaves, and red peppers that are diced directly into the bag. Mmm, and you can taste it, Marvin. You can taste the straight from Asia flavor. Visit eatirvins.com to order your bag of Irvins chips today,、uh, and use promo code Good Pop Culture Club all caps for free shipping on any order. That's eatirvins.com with promo code Good Pop Culture Club. Make your Asian mom proud. Kathy, Kim, Steve, where have you been? We haven't seen you for seven years. Has, has it been that long? Uh huh. Oh, uh, I was on a fishing boat. Training. It's part of the plan. Pla- what training? What plan? The, 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 the third season of the Korean drama podcast. Okay, we're doing this again. Okay, but there's no body switching in this one, right? No. The only thing we're switching is the fact that we're going to watch a good drama this time from 2020 called Itaewon Class, a story about starting a restaurant and a dish that Koreans love called revenge. I thought you were going to say kimchi jjigae. I thought you were going to say juk. Those two, Koreans love those two. Listen to the Korean Drama Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. Dead Pigs is a 2018 film by director Kathy Yan, who went on to direct 2020's Birds of Prey.、Uh, the plot is based on a real-life news story of thousands of dead pigs found floating in the Huangpu River.、Um, it follows the separate but interconnected stories of several characters who live in and around Shanghai,、um, centering around a new housing development and the one woman left that refuses to sell. The film stars Vivian Wu, Mason Lee, Li Meng, Yang Haoyu, and David Richdahl. Um, and also features、um, Zazie Beetz.、Um, so, this film came out in 2018.、Um, it premiered at Sundance. It won the World Cinema Dramatic Special Jury Award for Ensemble Acting,、um, but it hasn't seen a wide release until last month. It released on the streaming service Movie, which I wouldn't have even noticed until I saw like an ad that was obviously targeted towards me. Um, because probably someone heard me say "dead pigs,"、um, or they heard you speak Shanghainese,、yeah. and they're like, "Oh,、exactly. they must want to watch <laughs> dead pigs." Maybe the few, if not only, movie that is in Shanghainese. Yeah.、Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's how. So Jess and I watched this film back in 2018、um, at the San Diego Asian Film Festival, and I remember Jess because you are. Like Shanghainese, I'm adjacent to Shanghai.、Um, my family's from Ningbo. Actually, both our families from Ningbo, right? Yeah, but my parents like grew up in <laughs> Shanghai. Yeah, and they still go back, and I still have some family there. I remember you、um, were so, so excited that they were actually、yeah. speaking like actual Shanghainese. It's it's so random because it's it's because history time,、um, you know, history tangent. So like the Chinese government has like tried to phase out 
regional dialects, of which Shanghainese is one, to standardize Mandarin. So it's actually very rare for someone, you know, in our generation, mine and Marvin's, to be to speak Shanghainese in um, in China. So usually, but like you know, kids in the diaspora, like my parents moved to the United States and like brought my grandparents over. So my grandparents basically only speak Shanghainese. So like I grew up speaking it, but like it's not something that's common even in China. So to hear a whole movie in this like very like strange, it was it was very tickled. I was very entertained. Glad it was a what I thought it was a good movie, and I. Just, you know, it could have been honestly like reading a phone book and I would have been like still pleasantly <laughs> amused because it's in Shanghainese. Um, and I think that's a very deliberate choice. Language has a very language has really intense ties to class in China. Mm. It's similar in England, right? The sure. level of English you speak, the accent, the uh, the like the pronunciation, the diction really affects the more it shows off your class and in China actually dictates what job you can have. Yeah, because like regional dialects are kind of seen as provincial. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why it's just so wild. Like even I didn't expect a Shanghainese movie even from coming out of China. <laughs> and so it was, I mean, I, I went into it not knowing much about it other than it was getting good buzz. They'd been making the festival rounds and that it was three hours long. It's so two hours. So wasn't I it? sat there. Just it's only two hours. It's only two hours. Oh, it's two hours. Just kidding. Well, it's a two hour long. It's a two hour long indie film, which can sometimes feel like a three hour long movie. I think we've all watched those before. And I'm not usually a indie gal. Like I can respect the form. I can tell like when something's just object like like objectively well done. But like in terms of personal enjoyment. I do not like indie films that much, except I love this one. Yeah. We'll get back to that really quick. I really want to ask um, Han, as someone who doesn't understand Chinese, <laughs> were you able to pick up on the nuances between the dialects? Because there was a lot of code switching going on. There's a lot of like, different dialects of Chinese in this film. No, <laughs> no, uh, not at all. I'm, I'm basically like the white guy in the, in the movie <laughs> um, who is literally asked, do you speak Chinese? And he says no, and they're like, perfect. Uh, so, so those nuances went over my head. However, I uh, probably the way that people were depicted wasn't um, when it comes to class. There, I think it was very clear certain depictions of the delineations between the classes yeah. um, were fairly obvious, I think. But I mean, if, it, if there were like smaller um, delineations, I totally didn't get that. Um, but it did not diminish my enjoyment of this movie, which was an extreme. Um, the first few minutes, I was like, I don't know what's going on. Because I, 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 there are certain films I don't want to know what's going on. Um, and I don't want to watch a trailer. Uh, I don't want to read about it. So as soon as I saw Kathy Yan and Dead Pigs, I was like, okay, cool. Um it's like, I know she did Birds of Prey, so maybe there's something there. <laughs> uh, nope, nothing like that. Um, but and also I was like, oh, there are literal dead pigs because <laughs> I thought it might have been metaphorical. Um, no. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Very literal. Um, but as soon as soon as we got to um, Vivian Wu's character, um, where they're doing this sort of like um, 
the morning pep talk, you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the morning pep talk at her beauty salon, and it's like, but it's also like military, um, uh, affirmations and stuff like that. So I was just like, this is bizarre. I love it so much, and that really for me set the tone for the kind of wacky dark comedy that this ended up being and i don't know i just totally in love with this film so (laughs) yeah you you know we talk a lot or i talk a lot usually about like the different forms of comedy right and i just want to be clear this is not like surreal or made up this is an exaggeration a little bit of reality this stuff happens in china oh yeah yeah that's the like extra funny part I, there are so many moments in here where I feel like if someone outside of maybe Asian culture was watching it, they might think that this is all ridiculous. Like this couldn't have happened and that's why it's funny. But no, the reason why I found it funny and I think we all do is we recognize these characters. We recognize these sort of moments and like um, but but she puts them all together in such a way um, that it kind of just builds on one sort of ridiculous thing after another because, you know, again, like I was saying, they're all kind of real. Um, and then she also like pairs it with the perfect music and um, timing and, of course, the acting. So it actually just makes it like heightened, you know, <laughs> <laughs> ridiculousness to the point where I was just like so much of it. I was just smiling. Um, yeah, I mean, the film is one of those, like, there's separate storylines, but all the characters are connected. I found it really interesting that she was able to kind of create this microcosm of Chinese culture, that talking about class, but also talking about language, talking about development, and like the like like the costs of development, right? The, the cost of progress, because, I mean, the set designs on this film is also really, really good, mm-hmm. right? You see... You know, these older Chinese houses that seem very lived in, that seem like they probably came from, like, they could have come from the 70s or 80s. And then you see these, like, more sleeker, modern places that, like, are, yeah, like, from the 2020s, like, the 2010s. And I mean, it's still very true to life. And I think what I like about Dead Pigs is it's exploring a contemporary mainland Chinese story. I think so much of, like, what the West knows of China is either two extremes where it's like old school Hong Kong wuxia, <laughs> like mystical fantasy martial arts films or like right like three kingdoms stuff or it's like this like very racially biased news like they're the yellow terror thing and I do like you know Kathy is from Kathy, my best friend Kathy. It's like we're best friends. Kathy uh, Yan is from that area. She is a Chinese person. I think she grew up. She was born in China, right? And like grew up there for part of it. Then came to the United States. She has like this dual identity where she's able to like empathize with both. And that's, I think, something still fairly rare to be seen. And it's like it's very specific to modern China. Like the centuries of culture and these old houses, and these traditions, but like super modern, like high tech skyscrapers, you know, new world ec- economy, set- new center of the world economy almost. Um, and like that clash is, I think, kind of the underlying tension in this film or overt tension in this film. Um, and it's like real. <laughs> 
um like parents left in like the 80s and like that entire like south side of the river you know Pudong, yeah. like the whole like south side where all the really like you've seen her with the spike jones and joaquin phoenix and he walks like in that futuristic like donut shaped like walkway like skyway that's in shanghai like it's so futuristic like people use that hollywood american mm. hollywood uses that for the future but then you still have like you know it's on top of a thousand thousands of years of this very like culture that has survived for thousands of years um so hopefully something's right you know if it can survive <laughs> thousands of years and there's things to keep uh and and can so so it's just like yeah it's i've never seen i have not seen a movie that has done that i don't even think like farewell does it mm. like this cuz farewell is more about like an american perspective going in and this is like so rooted in like china and chinese characters yeah and i really love so one of the separate one one of the, one of the storylines is about sean a i guess a failed architect that moves to china to like find his like destiny or fortune and basically his whole story is like a window into the fetishization of western culture in china like much how in america or in the Western countries, we fetishize Asian cultures through like P.F. Chang's or all, all those like all those ways that you kind of bastardize Chinese culture. We see the ways that Western culture is also exploited and bastardized in Chinese culture, right? Being used to sell exoticism and, you know, and um, luxury, right? It's, I mean, and this is super true. Uh, one of my exes is a tall, white, uh, half British dude, right? And... um when he went to China, he said basically all these people treated him like he was a celebrity and they asked to take a photo with him. Um, partly because he was also <laughs> tall. He was 6'3", but also because he was white. And I was just like, they didn't know you. They did. I was like, did they think you were someone? He's like, no. They they just, you know, knew I was an American and I was a white dude, you know? And so I was like, what the fuck? Like, why is everyone... Like, I never went anywhere <laughs> where people wanted to take a picture with me. So I was just like... So when this guy, uh, this character, Sean, played by uh, David uh, Rizdal, um, was... Uh, he basically... Like, when you were talking about fetishization, he basically gets, you know, like a side job where he gets to be the the token white guy, you know, helping to sell things, you know, like a spokesperson, <laughs> but not really. It's, just, it's like, it's amazing. Um, And by the way, the reason why Zazie Beats is in there is that is her partner. And um, so she gets a little oh. cameo in there. So, that, yeah, if you go on to each of their Instagrams, you get to see, well, basically Zazie's on um on both of the instagrams he doesn't put himself that much but he's oh. on hers a little bit and so that's why i noticed in another thing in his um imdb that she's in it too and so when i saw both of their names again on something <laughs> i was like wait that's not a coincidence that's interesting so i was I wondering why because that's a beast she gets like building on this movie even though she's in it for like 10 seconds well, yeah, cause she's Aussie Beats. Right. Like, she's great in everything. Right. Um, I do love that she's like the black woman who is in charge of like recruiting these white faces to sell sell their bodies, yes. pretty much to like to marketing. It is. It's so great because, like, I mean, this is not a spoiler, but it just it's part of the enjoyment of it is when she tr recruits him. You know, she asks just random questions because he doesn't know what's happening, and she's like, "You play a musical instrument." <laughs> It's like, do you dance? And, you know, it's just just exactly what you do when it comes to like finding like spokesmodels. And it's like, what are all the skills that I can exploit? Uh, from you? 
so I watched the film for the second time um, off movie. And after seeing her subsequent work in Birds of Prey and going back, you definitely get a sense of like Kathy's style and how she likes to shoot things, how she likes to um, to portray things. And I mean, watching Dead Pigs again, you see a lot of like, you know, it's it's a much less kinetic movie than Birds of Prey, but still there's a lot of movement and a lot of like mm-hmm. color and lights. And yeah, I think I grew to appreciate it more through this film because Birds of Prey is an action, candy colored action film. And so in some respects, you feel like the property kind of like helped you know her produce the look whereas this is purely besides the fact that she wrote and directed it um is purely her interpretation um and her stamp is all over it it's just like if this is what a kathy yan film is i will watch everything that she makes yeah i mean the scope is a little crazy it's five different storylines and i was very um i think some of the links were more interesting and stronger than others. Like someone that's like, oh, that's a little shoehorn in very love actually. But um, it was very like, as you know, you see the five storylines converging into like the one central physical space, like the house, spoiler alert, like the house and this house that's, they're trying to demolish to develop something. Um, I was just like, I knew it was coming and I got really excited when I watched (laughs) it. I remember being like, oh, like, Okay, so like shit's gonna go down at this house, and we have all these like random ass people in what were seeming like random ass stories. So how are they all gonna react to this? And I think she gets like family really right, and like Asian family <laughs> really right, like the, the squabbling, squabbling, like, so like right. you know the pieces of shit family members, <laughs> but like you still gotta deal with them. I I gotta say, um, who plays the the brother? Um, how? The the older right yeah yeah Yang Haoyu probably um, yeah so so what I you know I do have to say everyone is great in this film and especially Vivian Wu but I have to give him props Haoyu Yang um, just because the he immediately conveys who he is without even saying words because he has such a sort of a manic you know movements and um and facial uh. Uh, expressions and just even when he's like trying to make this guy take some cigarettes from him um th- which is the butcher he's like no he's trying to push these cigarettes on this guy and i was like oh my god i know that guy you know it's like he's trying to do force a favor onto you so that way you're like you're you have to reciprocate in some way and this guy knows the deal he's like no i don't want your cigarettes <laughs> you know but that this guy like he just every single thing he does like feels like a person so like as far as like even if it's from the back you can tell it's him and um so i i don't know i just it's 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 even though it's like five storylines it is a small cast when you think about it when you're used to these huge ensemble films and so i think everyone brought yeah. something um cultural fun fact that is also very chinese <laughs> i think very asian um right this idea of like forcing a favor because we can't yes. owe people anything. Like that's one of the number one things they like your family or your parents will drill into you. Like don't accept favors because you owe them and you don't want to owe people. Right. Or like you can only do it with your family because at least that like favor trade yeah, stays in the family, stays in the family. And that's more acceptable than like, like giving strangers that much power over you and your family. Yeah. Um, so it's like, ooh, very Chinese. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get it. You don't gotta. I get mm-hmm. it, Kathy. I see you. And, I mean, their story is very like the the dad played by Yang Hao Yu and the son played by Mason Lee, who is the son of Ang Lee. Yes. 
um, it's interesting that it's like they're both kind of chasing like the I guess you call it the Chinese dream in this movie, which oh, is like, yeah. you know, trying to lift themselves out of their their situation. Right. Like um, to like rise above their station. Right. If you take like a Hamilton or like Regency um, a metaphor. Yeah. And not really being able to because of capitalistic like oppression. Right. Yeah. I mean, China is in mm. its. I mean, the film is a critique on capitalism, what it does to you. It's also, I mean, specifically like a critique on Western capitalism and Western influence, right, over China and whether that is progress. It's, it's, I think, in, in Westernized, you know, modern, this modernization, like more industry, more, more businesses would be seen as progress. But there's obviously downsides, as we have all seen. <laughs> In the last year, about how like you know capitalism don't always work out. Um, <laughs> so it's 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 an interesting like take, but then the, again, there's this layer of like very Chinese specific things, but I don't think it's just specific. Like the the specificity makes it universal, right? Like the dad is able, you know, her dad, this young woman character, her dad is able to kind of like buy off and like so she avoid buys off like the harm parties so she kind of gets away with a lot more and doesn't face the consequences like that happens here too and then you know gentrification and development of like older neighborhoods and displacing people that happens here too so it's so weird because it's like in, in like i wonder if other people who don't have these like cultural ties to china do they watch this and they're like oh that's happening here too <laughs> or are they just like yeah that's all china yeah china's weird like <laughs> they got some things to work out Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I can see some people missing that mark. Right. <laughs> um yeah. let's talk about Vivian Wu's character because she is like the anchor of this film. And like, Vivian Wu's an actress that's been around for a long time. Yes, she was in Joy Luck Club. She was the mom who ends up spoiler alert, spoiler alert, ends up killing herself so that the ghosts will haunt her shitty rapist husband. <laughs> Um, so then her daughter is protected. <laughs> like, this is a deep cut. Asian American cinema. This is a deep cut. But I think she she's great in that film. Yeah, she was in The Last Emperor. And the astronaut show recently that yeah, was on Netflix. Yeah, she's on Away. Yeah. That's the one yes. with um, Hillary yeah. Swank, right? She, yes. Yeah, she was the uh, Chinese astronaut. Yeah. Definitely one of those people that had, if America were a little more open to foreign comma not from europe talent i think would have had we would have had more you know could have seen her in some pretty interesting roles she's so good in this she's good in everything and this role is so weird it's a weird ass <laughs> role like she it, it, she's so she's like this militaristic but like overly eager sorority like boss of the salon she like just keeps a bunch of birds in her house. She's like a bird lady. She loves to wear pink and leopard print. Um, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, but it's just it's, a whole look. It's, a, it's such great. a unique character, and I think a lesser actor, it would have been a caricature, or it wouldn't, ha or you would have been like, this lady's just playing crazy. Like I don't root for her. I don't like her. Like I don't care. She loses her house. Mm -hmm. But I think she's just so charming that, and mm -hmm. and like, 
and she doesn't even remind me of anybody. You know what I mean? Like in the a character, like no, I don't. She is this yeah, character. I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's another character I could even compare her to. Which is when we're talking about film, that's pretty yeah. amazing. I mean, if anything, I want her to be my Kuanti, right? Like you want someone like that in your yeah. family, who's just like. <laughs> but she doesn't even remind me of like any of the women in my family. Like, like that's no. the weird thing. Like she, it's such a, and maybe we just aren't privy to enough. Like we don't get the in-stream of like current, good current contemporary content from like Asia, hmm. right? We usually get like the more poppy stuff or the more drama stuff or I just love her in this. And of course she gets the scene stealing last scene, right? That's built around her. Yeah. Yes. Do we want <laughs> I mean, to address so that? This film has a really amazing climax and you know, we shouldn't go into like what exactly happens, but like I want to talk about the music of this film because mm-hmm. that is something that stuck with me even after, even like here one year later, right? Um, there's a motif that goes throughout the film that is um, it's Teresa Tang's um, "I Only Care for You," which is like if you're a part of the Chinese diaspora, you know this song. It's a song that your parents probably sang karaoke. It's a song that you've heard in every single Chinese supermarket, every single Chinese department store you've ever been to. You know, Teresa Tang is, she was the ballad queen of like Chinese diasporans for decades. Uh, and like her music has like, I don't know what the American um, metaphor is, but like. I think I have a comp. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like if Celine Dion, like the star power and like just the hits of Celine Dion, but also Celine Dion's music could like, you like dissolve racism in america while people listen to her music because like Teresa tang was like the one thing everyone in the chinese diaspora could agree on and she like died tragically fairly early uh, from an asthma attack as my pediatrician would like to bring up every single time i went in for a checkup for my asthma um and and so so she like died too young like she died she went out at the peak and she like died before she became problematic so like imagine if like you know like you know most celebrities or artists or beloved icons like they do something in their life that you're just like oh that's not cool i've lost respect for you none of that for Teresa. she's like enshrined forever as this like perfect embodiment like the most grizzled grandfathers and <laughs> grumpiest uncles all love Teresa tang Asian parents who like won't show affection to their children will shed a tear as they <laughs> sing um, the moon and sun represents my heart for you. It's played at every Chinese wedding. And that song specifically. That song, this song with and Tiamimi, which was um, featured also in Crazy Rich Asians during the garden party. Yes. Scene. Yes. Yeah. And that's when you knew you're like an Asian person, a Chinese person <laughs> made this movie. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, the song is featured prominently throughout the movie, um, but also um, not only in its original form, but also in its remixed form. There's like a music version. There's a, there's a house music version. <laughs> All I know is you, you two have enlightened me on Teresa Tang, and I really wish I could see this in a theater <laughs> with some Chinese people. So to, to just have the reaction, you know, uh, and then, of course, I would pay attention more because I, I actually very much enjoyed the music and the way it played out um, throughout the film. I didn't realize um, 
until later that it was the same song in different <laughs> forms. <laughs> um, but now I really do want to go back to uh, listen and watch it again. Did I lose my shit when that part happened? Oh, we all Marvin? lost I don't our remember. shit. This, I'm sure I like. Yeah, I like did, this, and I was this home climax, alone with my like, cats. It's you know, if we explain it to you, it would sound like we're crazy. <laughs> and like, yes, it makes yeah. no sense, but totally works in the context of the film. Um, but I just know usually when I watch things with Marvin, if he's sitting next to me, like I, I end up punching him. Uh, sorry, Marvin. Like when we watched Searching together, I think I like bruised his arm. It was a very stressful movie. I, 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 it was I, very stressful. I understand. That, yeah, that is exactly my like my best friend. Because the thing is, you have to hit them so because it's soft and silent. Um, but it still conveys my arm is soft and silent. Marvin, reaction. that's your tagline: soft and silent. But yeah, Marvin, I'm yeah. bummed that Khan, you weren't able to watch this in the theater because this film definitely deserves to be seen in the theater. It's gorgeous. I mean, I you know what? If it's shown again in a theater somehow, some way, I I think I would try to yeah. see it. And respects to movie, I'm sure you're a fine platform, but like this really needed even a limited theatrical art house run. Like yeah. it deserved that. We were like I I don't know the history of this film, but I remember having a conversation with Jess throughout the last two years. Like, when do you think Dead Pigs is coming out? Yeah. I mean they were probably waiting for the birds of prey and then COVID hit and then also they probably were needed to like recoup money. The sad economic part of it, but it's such a strong. This is her debut feature, guys. Like, what a story and scope and just production budget it is in Chinese indie, which I wish we could see more of because Chinese indies also, I think, in funding, just like, you know, everything's bigger in China, right? It's a land full of numbers. <laughs> so, like, an indie here would be produced for like a million, two million in China, like a $20 million is an indie, <laughs> right? Um, and, you know, the fact that she was able to shoot in China and actually do this is kind of amazing. Um, I cannot imagine the hurdles and bribes and like smooth talking <laughs> Kathy and team had to do to get this movie made. So respects. Yeah. Respects. I wonder what, do you know what she's working on now? Or is, I haven't. She's working on an adaptation of Sour Hearts with A24. And she was, I think they released, there was like an article about she's working on this movie called the freshening which either sounds like the coolest idea ever or the dumbest idea ever <laughs> it's apparently like this movie the logline is like in the near future there's a injection you get where everyone turns you, you see everyone as the same race as you after this injection oh. so i was like okay oh. i was like either really cool <laughs> and like smart or really dumb and we don't need well, this it's like there's gonna be no in between it looks like it's an adaptation of a short story by rachel kong who also wrote goodbye vitamin which is also being adapted into a feature film starring um constance Wu. this one looks like um ali wong is producing that's cool yeah, that's really really hope it's but like <laughs> you can see how it can quickly veer into oh god no yeah um, but at this point, I am willing to see what Kathy comes with because, I mean, she's two for two for films with over the top kind of like on paper, it shouldn't work premises, right? Yeah, I, I think then this already gives me a feeling that there's going to be a comic element in it um, and also dealing with a very big idea, like a high concept. So I'm I'm totally yeah. there. Um, Dead Pigs is available now on Mubi, which is it's it's a relatively newer streaming service, right? It's- yeah, and it seems to um truck in the higher um 
art house films and yeah that means a lot of foreign films and most of these are going to be ones that have won awards in some festival or other you know I wasn't planning on getting movie until Dead Pigs was on it. And now that I have, like, I'm burning through my one-week trial right now. And I might keep it for at least a month to check out some of these other films. Because there's a lot of films that I missed on the festival circuit that are on here. The algorithm works, Marvin. <laughs> the algorithm works. Uh, I don't know if you have Roku or any other platform. But with Roku, you get 30-day free trial. Ooh. What? I got, I got, and screwed. and I definitely, well, and I definitely saw some other films on there that I want to check out. And um, if for those of you who know that I only watch a few uh, horror films because I was forced to, but I do think Audition, um, Takashi Miike's super scary but really that good. Film is fucked up. It's totally that fucked up, fucked but up it's film. really good. Um, so that's on there. <laughs> um, like yeah, I. I never intend to see horror films, but because of my career, sometimes I've been forced to. And you know what? That's still a good one, even though I mean, it scared the shit out of me. Not to go on a tangent, but I mean, Audition is a film that starts <laughs> off normal and then takes a turn. And then I'm pretty sure didn't it inspire like all the torture porn films of oh, like the God. 2000s? I mean, I mean, I'm checking yeah, through Boobie's catalog. It's definitely a little more like esoteric art house. There's like <laughs> Werner Herzog stuff and... But there's two Ryan Gosling films. Drive? No, only no. God Forgives and Blue Velvet. Okay, Blue yeah, Blue but Line. that's like nothing notebook, huh? <laughs> hey, look, I haven't seen the notebook, and I'm probably gonna see Blue Valentine before I watch the notebook. So uh Yeah, also available is August at Akiko's, which oh. is Chris Yogi's um first film, which I missed. So I'm This is fun. I mean, it kind of seems too. like the yeah. cool festival deposit. Uh, Songs My Brother Taught Me by Chloe Zhao is on this. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to go on even another tangent, I started watching Canopy. The free, Oh, the uh, LA Library service? Well, it's not just LA Library. It's like all libraries. So if you have a library card or a college, you know, uh, your, your, a college like ID or something, you can access this free uh, streaming service, which, and so they have like art house films and great TV shows and stuff like that. So I watched a documentary. Oh, this was probably supposed to be my watch popping and I forgot about it. But yeah. So I so we watched the documentary about that uh fantasy author uh Ursula K. Le Guin on it. And, and then mm. I saw all these other Asian films, like a bunch of uh Kurosawa on there and some um other stuff that I was like, Oh, well, maybe I'll start watching Canopy <laughs> instead of Netflix and Hulu. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think as long as we have movie, uh, I'll probably catch up on a few of those house <laughs> films too. All right, last question. Is Dead Pigs good pop? Yes. <laughs> Why haven't you subscribed to your free trial of Mubi yet? Like, go on yeah, and do it Yeah, if there's now. ever a reason to check out Mubi, this is it. As of right now, it's the only way to watch Dead Pigs. And as you may have gathered from us gushing about the movie for the last half hour or so, uh, we definitely recommend it. And yeah, it's definitely worth at least burning your one-week trial to watch this film. Absolutely worth it. Um, it's one of those things, especially if you haven't seen Birds of Prey yet, you know, or if you have, like, if you watch this, you will fully understand why she got, like, leapfrogged over people to be able to do a big budget superhero film. Um, because I think it's that good. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, thank you once again to my co-hosts for joining me to talk about Dead Pigs by Kathy Yan. Um, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? I'm at Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Jess Jude Tweets. <laughs> 
And I am at Anonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find the show at Good Pop Club and check out our past episodes at goodpop.club. Uh, thanks again to the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts that we are a proud member of. Check out our fellow Potluck shows by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll be back next week for our monthly news roundup. Um, do we want this? Uh, but until then, bye everyone. Bye. bye. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.